Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. We'll continue this evening with our discussion of Shuddhajiva Goswami's Paramatma Sindarbha, 105th Anucheda. This 105th Anucheda is dealing with the correspondence between the beginning sutras of the Vedanta Sutra, Brahma Sutra, and the first verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam, pointing out those similarities in such a way that we can have a, a firm conviction that the Bhagavatam does contain everything that's there in the Vedanta Sutra. So we're given, Jiva Goswami is giving us a little bit of a, of a comparative analysis and what we'll find is, as we go further into this 105th Anucheda is that comparison also gives us some insight into the fact of the additional explanation that the Bhagavat provides us over what's there in the Vedanta Sutra. Now, of course, the Vedanta Sutra in and of itself is like a, uh, it's a composition meant to bring out the essence of, of the Vedic knowledge as it relates to spiritual existence, as to it relates to the essence of the Vedas. So the Vedanta Sutra has pulled from the Veda, the whole body of the Veda, those spiritual gems given in a very concise format those gems in a way that a comprehensive well you could never be fully comprehensive with the Vedas it's a it's a huge huge body of work it deals with all facets of of human existence and all facets of the material manifestation and spiritual manifestation. So it's it's a very comprehensive work. So the fact that after compiling the Vedas in writing for the benefit of humanity, he pulled out the essence in the Vedanta Sutra regarding that goal, the goal of aspiration, of spiritual attainment. But the Vedanta Sutras are that. They are just sutras. So even to understand the Vedanta Sutras as Vyasudeva compiled them and released them uh, in a written format, uh, the teachers of the various Sampradayas have had to elaborate upon the Sutras in such a way that a, an inquisitive student would be able to comprehend what's there just like the example that we're going to conclude at the beginning of this class of Atato. All the commentators have pulled this meaning out of these two words which are combined together in Atato Brahma Jignasa. Who would have known? We're talking about Purva Mimamsa and Uttara Mimamsa and one coming after the other and these two words referring directly to those two aspects of knowledge 
first the one that's heard in relationship to our material existence, the karmakanda, and then from the karmakanda, sequentially, naturally, one would be, would come to Uttara, the one that comes after, Purva before, Tara after, Karmakanda and Brahmakanda or spiritual Kanda. So this one coming after the other and the correlation between the two, all that leading to a full explanation of what exactly is this aphorism, Atato, Brahma, Jigdasa. Now, inquire into Brahman. Well, what's now? Well, we always thought a Tato, now do it. Well, that now is a Tato, two different words, as Jeeva's pointed out here, like all the other commentators, Vaishnav commentators, on the Vedanta Sutra, now that you know what karma is about, and you know that it has some built-in chinks in the armor, so to speak, it has some shortfalls, um, after you've heard the, that, then go on, Tatum. Inquire into Brahman, Jignasa. Inquiry, Jignasa. Well, Srila Vyasadeva, in compiling the Srimad Bhagavatam, has taken that inquire deeply. Inquire extremely deeply. What's the difference? There's no real difference, except he uses the word Dimahi in the Bhagavat Purana. For what purpose? Well, to inquire deeply, one has to enter into a fixed concentration, meditation, samadhi being, of course, the, the, fruit, the, the mature growth of fixed concentration on one point. You could say, well, what's the necessity here for Jiva Goswami? He, he's given at the, very, at the very beginning of the Tattva Sandarbha in his Mangala Charana, he's pointed out the qualification of the student of his Sandarbhas. And that qualification, as given in the, in the begin, beginning Mangala Charana, was what? A single-minded purpose of attaining Lord Krishna's lotus feet. So, if you want to enter into the mystery of what I'm going to be revealing in the Sandarbhas, the essence of the Srimad Bhagavatam, if you want to really enter into what I'm presenting to you, you need this, this single-minded purpose as your objective. Otherwise, well, it's going to be pretty, pretty difficult because this is all about bhakti. I'm, I'm bringing you through Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojan, and I'm going to bring these out based on what's in the Bhagavat Purana, in the Bhagavatam, and they're going to be able to, to bring you to a very comprehensive understanding of devotional life. Who's the Lord? Who you are? Who what the material universe is? All these universal 
manifestations and incarnations coming into the universe and demigods and we're going to, all that's in the Bhagavatam and I'm going to pull out the essence which is what Sandarbha means and I'm going to, I'm going to give you that essence if if you are that kind of a student, you'll get what I'm talking about. And if you're just an intellectual and you're going to approach this from simply an, an uh, academic viewpoint, you're, you're not going to you're not going to be able to, to taste the what's there. It's it's going to pass you by. But if you're single-minded, then you're going to be able to enter into the mystery. And so be single-minded. You have to be single-minded. So this correlation between the Vedanta Sutra and the Bhagavatam, he's bringing out to the audience of his day. But it really plays well to this audience of today. And I'll tell you why. It plays well to this audience because it's a new audience. And as a new audience, the cultural background of Vedanta and Vedic knowledge is not it's not like part of the the DNA of the culture. We we weren't as Westerners, we didn't grow up in that culture, so it's not part of our DNA. This whole thing of of not accepting the material senses and setting that aside as illusion, full of mistakes, making you know cheating, you know, this whole thing of, of, of setting the senses aside and accepting scripture as the, as the topmost evidence for real knowledge is, that's a leap of faith. That takes a lot of faith for the Western mind to say, okay, we're just going to dive right in and, just, and throw, throw <laughs> centuries of Acquired knowledge and centuries of of uh, of the determination of how things work in the world and how we work in the world and how our minds and bodies and everything about us works and where the world came from and how it came and how this we're going to throw that all out because we arrived at that knowledge through sense perception. And then conjecture on that sense perception. We're going to throw that all out, and we're going to take the word of scripture delivered by a guru and substantiated by other spiritually minded people. So now we're going to take those five great senses. Hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, our knowledge-acquiring senses. But to throw those out, everything that they've given to us as mankind, we're going to toss those out, and we're going to accept scripture, guru, and saintly people. 
Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra. That's what we're going to rely on for our knowledge. And forget the centuries upon centuries that we've accumulated and we've got big schools all over our society and ivy growing on the walls and these are established institutions and, you know, everybody's... And that's where we've, we go for knowledge and all of a sudden... And a freighter from India, this little guy, saintly personality, comes across the sea and says, That's, you're just, you're all fools and idiots. You don't know a damn thing. You're depending on your senses and your senses are simply taking you to death. What kind of a life are you living? Now, I can give you a real life. Are you interested? Not many people came. Not many people were interested. But, back to my point. My point is that it's important to us as that new generation of Western spiritual seekers have taken to this specific path. It's important to us because we need to know how to tread this sometimes difficult spiritual knowledge. How to get to the, to the full and most comprehensive understanding. It requires that we fully master this balance. We have to be able to master the balance between Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra. We have to be able to fully understand in proper context the significance of what's details and what's the principles. We have to be able to discriminate between what is being put forth by the guru and the sadhus in a relative way and how to understand there's many sadhus in the world now, many different gurus. They're all presenting the same absolute truth. They all have different disciples at different levels of, of maturity and qualification ourselves as students we we can become bewildered sometimes and the more we see and the more i study in order to present these sandarbhas i'm seeing more and more the significance of understanding what jiva's doing right here how he's tying the bhagavatam to the vedanta sutra and how these basic spiritual truths, tattvas, the basic spiritual truths that make up the siddhanta, the overall conceptual orientation of our Krishna conscious understanding, sambandha, practice, and aspirations, to see how that all has to tie back 
to the essential scriptural essence as put forth actually in the Vedanta Sutra for the majority of Vaishnavas and put forth in mature meditation by the author himself as the best commentary on the Vedanta Sutra, the Srimad Bhagavatam. Now just imagine that enlightened commentary on the Vedanta Sutra, pulling out the essence of all these sutras as we're learning the more we study the Sandarbhas. There's a lot there, a lot in these narrations, in these pastimes. How much is in just one simple sloka from the Bhagavatam? Jiva's taking these slokas and just we knew there were a lot. We knew from, from what we've heard of Sri Chaitanya giving 64 explanations of the Atmarama verse, Atmaramas Chamunayo. It's significant what Jiva is doing here of showing us how to take even a simple sutra and how Vyasadeva has taken a simple, the simple beginning sutras and composed his first verse of the, of the Bhagavatam, which is, which is an explanation of, of, of those first verses and a, an extrapolation from the, from, the, from the mantra, from the Gayatri mantra. And then our appreciation for what's happening in the Bhagavatam and an appreciation for the core tattvas and the way they need to be seen. And by seeing those core tattvas and understanding them properly, then we can easily navigate the maze of potential misconceptions that we can be confronted with when we hear the sadhus present the knowledge in various ways due to various circumstances and differing audiences. Because they do. They'll speak in one way. But if you know the tattva, you'll know, well, but that's not the core. And that must be, there must be a specific purpose why the sadhu is presenting that knowledge in that particular manner under those particular circumstances. There's no inherent inherency. But my guru said, yes, there's inherency. Why did he say that? Could you think of a reason why he'd say it? Because we can't support it from the Vedanta Sutra. And if we study deeply the Bhagavatam under the direction of someone like Jiva who's brought out these correlations, which is what he's doing for us now, between Vedanta Sutra and its mature commentary, the Srimad Bhagavatam, and that idea is not supportable, then we need to know that, we need to understand it, and we don't have to be knocked and lost in this, this maze of different flowing of ideas that are meant to, to capture in the net 
that these gurus are show are throwing out the inquisitive minds of so many different students coming from so many backgrounds and so many levels of qualification. So there's some reasons. And even my own spiritual master said things in his books that contradicted each other. Do I think my spiritual master is full of contradictions? No, I don't. But I can understand the context and the, a possible reasoning. No one can know the mind of their spiritual master. But what I can know is he knows the way Jiva knows what the proper tattvas and their connections are. If he's changed the presentation or presented differing information, then he must have a reason. I can speculate, but I don't need to. Whatever his reason, it's fine. I have no problem with it. I offer obeisances to it. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he was doing at the time he said it, and it doesn't diminish in my understanding in any way my relationship with my spiritual master. Nor does it diminish my appreciation for other sadhus presenting Krishna consciousness in the context of the Western world. It doesn't diminish in any way my appreciation for them if they presented things in a way that is different from that of my spiritual master. Now, there was a time in the very beginning of my Srila Prabhupada's coming to the Western world and introducing this whole new culture to Krishna consciousness where he was very much like, very much keeping the flock together. And at that time, he said things to, to warn us Best you don't listen to my God brothers. You'll get confused or they don't know what they're talking. Whatever he said, better you just don't do it. And of course, we took that as like, that's a foundational stone. And now, 50 years later, those stones are now like weights that are tied around the ankles of some of my God brothers and drowning them in misconceptions that don't allow them to move forward. That's unfortunate. So this kind of study can eliminate those misfortunes if we can see how these things tie together and how the Vedanta Sutra is being portrayed through the Leela of the Bhagavat, through the verse of the Bhagavat, through Vyasadeva's mature meditation, how, how much it's tying back. These core tattvas are not changing. It's not like the guru, a guru's coming along and coming up with this new conception. This point of being able to tie all those ideas back in a very significant manner is what is so very important. And if we can see this significance, then 
in our own spiritual practice, in our own dealings with our spiritual master, in our own dealings within a now what's become a worldwide community of connected devotees in all ways connected, then when one group says one thing or really jumps onto one thing and says, this is the only way it can be and the rest of you people are, no, that's okay. That's the way your guru presented it. You need to broaden your perspective a little bit. I'm not going to pit my guru against your guru, but if we need to know how to reconcile all this stuff, maybe you should read Jiva Goswami Sundarbas and see how he reconciles so many things. We don't want to become insular. So I will continue from where we left off. And remember what we're talking about here is just this simple thing, a tato being two words. And those two words have been explained as the two, the path of materialism and the path of spiritualism generally as the Purva Mamamsa, which comes before. So atato, ata, meaning sequentially. So naturally the next sequence, what comes after, is the spiritual path. So the atarama So Jiva Goswami continues. This indeed is illuminated by the etymological meaning of the words pitrihu and devahu, used for the right and left ears, respectively. In the narration of Puranjan, Srimad Bhagavatam's fourth canto, the right ear being geared to hearing topics related to the path of the forefathers, i.e. karma, and the left ear to that of the highest gods, Gyan. In this way, after assimilating proper knowledge of karma khanda, one comes to the under, to, one comes to understand the miserable and temporary nature of so-called heavenly bliss through careful deliberation on it with reference to some statements found in the Brahmakanda. For one thus equipped with the understanding and who recognizes Brahman as eternal transcendental bliss knowledge, bliss, knowledge that Brahman is the supreme truth itself becomes the cause for the inquiry into Brahman. In this way, having understood the above as the meaning of the word pairing ata and ataha, Sri Vyas declares its quintessential meaning as truth, satyam. The word satyam means that reality whose existence is utterly essential to all other existences. This is concluded because the word satyam is here coupled with the word param. And in the sutra, it is in turn coupled with Brahman. Brahman is truth, knowledge, and infinite. Satyam jnanam anantam brahma. So Jiva is just showing all these correlations between atato brahma jignasa and satyam param dimahi. Now let us meditate on the supreme truth now that you that you know that it's it's important then the inquiry can begin
you've gone through the karma, you've seen its pitfalls, it's even when you were studying it and hearing it in your right ear, uh, it was pointing to what you should hear in your left ear. Brahman. Brahma Jignasa. It is therefore concluded that because the existence of others is under his will, their existence is transitory. So, the sense is that till this point we have been engrossed only in matters whose existence is temporary, whereas now we can meditate on that whose existence is eternal. Satyam param dimahi. Nice little comment in regards to some would say the necessity of the karma kanda is here. First, without the knowledge of purva mimamsa, meaning karma kanda, the word purva meaning what comes before, one will not understand uttara mimamsa because the former amounts to the oppositional view, purva paksha. That is then refuted in the latter system. So you have a counterpoint. If someone comes to you and say, spiritual life's the best thing that you could possibly do, then the opposition, as a materialist, you say, what do I need it for? I'm, I'm happy. Then the opposition could say, yeah, you're happy like a pig in stool. What do you mean, like a pig in stool? Well, I'll tell you. So then the then there's then there's there's a reference. Well, you're putting all your eggs in the bas basket of material existence, but everything that you've put in your basket, all the eggs are going to break, and then the basket's going to be taken from you. What do you mean? Well, look at life. Look at everybody around you. They're all dying. So there's a counterpoint. That's the point there. It's good to know karma. Now, of course, in the West, we weren't schooled in what we call karma kanda, how to conduct ourselves. We were given some little bit of moral standard, but the other side wasn't given. It wasn't balanced. It was like, you just need to be a, a moral and upright person. Why? What do I need to do that? <laughs> Prove it. What heaven? I'm heaven. I got a heaven right here. I can just pop it in my mouth and I'm in more of a heaven than you've ever experienced. <laughs> <laughs> now, I personally, <laughs> I must admit, argued in a writing class in college, that exact point, <laughs> with an Indian teacher who came from the other culture. What is with all these morals, all this, you don't, what do you need it for? Well, so you can experience spirituality. I can experience spirituality quite simply, without any moral standard required. <laughs> I wrote a paper and did my research and showed cultures that used psychedelics as a means to spiritual 
advancement. And there were quite a few. Tibetans, Tibetan book, the, the use of uh, uh, psilocybin by various tribes. It's prevalent throughout society. So I composed, it was a good paper, but she only gave me a B plus. The counterpoint is there. And although we may not have had that, you know, the moral part was there, but then the the positive on the Uttara Mimamsa, the spiritual end, why you don't want the Karmakanda, why you don't, you do want to follow morals so that you can think clearly and pursue spiritual life to an actual attainable objective which is positive. Not that you're just following blindly rules and regulations because of some social convention. A lot of us from that bygone age, the hippie era, it was a hard sell. We'd we'd seen how all that had worked out. It wasn't very appealing to us. Oh, our parents, you know, go to church and all this, but have all these material contraptions now and living a but they're not happy, and I don't want their life. There's books on that history if you want to read them. <laughs> so the poor vipaksa opponent's viewpoint is there. It's good. It's good to have the opponent's viewpoint. Then there's something to, to help strengthen. The opponent's viewpoint strengthens our resolve in the validity of our viewpoint. Because the formal amounts of oppositional view, poor vipaksa, that is then refuted in the latter system. Secondly, the practice of swadharma as recommended by Purva Mimamsa, purifies one heart, one's heart and thus prepares one for the path recommended by Uttara Mimamsa. In other words, you want to get good karma, you're going to have to follow some good moral standards. Now you want a good wife, good children, good education, good job, live forever, and that when it's all over, you want to go to the heavenly planets and enjoy there with all those grands. And you want to have all those, you know, mystic cities that come with residents on such a heavenly planet. So you got it all chalked out. But in order to do that properly without the little pill, <laughs> which doesn't last that long and can end you up in exactly the opposite direction at times, um, depending <laughs> on good guidance, which generally you don't have. <laughs> so you follow moral standards in taking instead of the pill. So the moral standards clear your consciousness because with a little bit higher morals, brought in by the Karmakanda instruction, you can start seeing things more clearly. It's a grand trick by the by the Veda, isn't it? The Karmakanda section of the Veda is like, come on, clean yourself up, perform sacrifices, give in charity, host sadhus, and all of a sudden you're doing all these things for this material benefit that you want. You're giving in charity and you might give to a sadhu. You might invite guests to eat because it's something that you, you do under karma conda 
to hospitality is a good thing, and by extending hospitality, hospitality is going to be extended to you from the heavenly gods. So all these things are in the Shastra. Okay, yeah, come on in. Then the Sadhu's there, and he says, give it all up. Leave your wife. Forget, no more kids. Renounce, like me. Then you can enter into spirituality. (laughs) So... That'll be the last time I invite that son. <laughs> but you can see, so it's a, it's a different approach. In the Western world, we weren't so familiar with that approach. You know, it was more like go to church or no allowance, and I'll take the car away. So in doing that, the heart is purified. And when the heart is purified, then other agents can enter the heart and exert their influence. It's it's a grand scheme of things now, isn't it, by the Supreme and his his manifestation of these 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 this system of karmakanda. Finally, Purva Mamsa leads only to a temporary result. Vedanta or Uttara Mimamsa offers the ultimate meaning and purpose of the Vedas, which is attainment of the absolute reality. A good example of that is found in the Bhagavatam. In the fourth canto, when Narada Muni is trying to instruct uh, Prachini Bahisat, he's telling them the story of Baranjan, because he's a king and he's materially attached, and you know he, he's pointing out, and then all of a sudden, you know, a huge narration, and in this narration is where this this one little point that Jiva was making comes out. So Nard is speaking and he says as follows. What he's doing is he's showing an analogy between the body and the the king's domain. And in doing that he's trying to instruct the king to see beyond himself. So in that discussion, we hear the following. The right ear is the gate called Pitrihu, and the left ear has been called the gate of Devahu. Scriptures dealing with the ritualistic ceremonies prescribed in the Purva Mamamsa are called the kingdom of Dakshina Panchala. And those teachings of the path of devotion to the Absolute prescribed in Uttara Mamsa are called the land of Uttara Panchala. Listening to these through the gateway of the year has been described as Shrutadar, the companion of Puranjan. The study of the first one leads to the path of the Pitris, or forefathers, heaven, and the study of the other to the path of the Devas. Atato. This is all an expansion of that understanding from the Vedanta Sutra. Jiva's bringing out these correlations. Just see. First, Karma Mamamsa, then Uttara Mamamsa. It's right there in the story. Narada was instructing Barisat and uh, using the analogy of uh, King Paranjan. So we will continue in the next class. This term, Satyam, is going to be really unpacked. Any questions?
you were, earlier you were referring to the Acharyas and um, you were saying that um, or this is what I understand are you saying that if the Acharyas are, don't say uh, um, don't um, if they are not speaking in line with what Jiva Goswami is saying that they are they that they they are actually agreeing but but that they may not present it in that's correct um, and that that they all are following the line of yes of course we look at the the architects of the sampradaya the goswamis and anything that's coming after the goswamis we would say that any contemporary Vaishnavacharya will be in their teachings will ultimately be in conformity with the core tenets put forth of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Sampradaya through those empowered architects of the Sampradaya, the six Goswamis and coming forward. So all those things are going to are going to tie back to core tattvas and a core siddhanta or understanding of spiritual truth that's in conformity with Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teachings. And so each one of our, uh, our previous acharyas, all of them we can say that they all um, um, follow or they all... Yes, well like my them. spiritual masters, this divine grace, he said I came, I didn't come to give you anything new. But circumstantially things can be presented differently due to circumstance. So there can be circumstances and where things are presented differently. Thank you so much for your association.